Episode 67 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles, an interview with Gordo Byrne. Yeah, team, welcome along to episode 66 of Fitness Behaviour, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, this month I've got a really great interview with a person who some of you may know of. Um, those in the triathlon world in particular will know probably of this person. Uh, for those who are not in the triathlon world may not know so much about this person, the man by the name of Gordo Byrne. Uh, Gordo is... Um, a man that I trained a lot with in my time as an Ironman triathlete, and Gordo was one of these guys who was a bit before his time, to be honest, and there's many facets of the person to admire. He was a person who came into the sport at a later age with no history in the sport at all, and achieved very much the highest level, really, um, podium and getting podium finishes in Ironman around the world, and having some very, very fast races in these races, and the place he came from, he was over an 11 hour guy when he first started and he got down to about eight and a half, which is, um, for those who don't know anything about Ironman, that's, that's a massive progress. And, you know, I think I talk about in the interview how Gordo was one of these guys who had a very single-minded goal of becoming the best athlete that he could become. And, he, you know, as an athlete, I always think of what percentage of effort are you putting into achieving the outcome that you desire it's a really interesting kind of question to explore in life like how great do I want to be at this thing and how much am I really committing to this and Gordo was the prime example of somebody who looked at every aspect it took to be the greatest athlete he could be and applied all of those aspects and it was really quite admirable to see what he achieved in his athletic career now while Gordo was an amazing triathlete, he's also just one of these guys who's a pretty amazing thinker. And he was one of the first people in triathlon to do a big blog that a lot, a lot of people followed. This is in you know, the early 2000s where, you know, blogging and, you know, creating audiences wasn't such a big thing. But Gordo was just, he just loved the sport so much and he just shared everything he learned to the internet and he became quite a big name in the sport. Since his time as being a triathlete he's moved on from the sport and really let go of being that kind of elite athlete and um is now a family man and he does some really brilliant write writing on sport family and finances and his blog is, is well followed by lots of people all around the world because he just has this quite a, a simplistic approach to writing that has quite a powerful effect on the readers of his content and i know i go onto his blog and i always just get little tidbits of stuff around some of his thinking. He's just one of those guys who has the ability to really look deeply at a subject and explore it in ways that, you know, that helps others gain insights that maybe they didn't see before. So a while ago, I thought to myself, while we've had Gordo on my other triathlon podcast quite a few times talking about triathlon related subjects, I thought it'd be really good to get him on this show and talk about kind of life in general now in this interview we obviously talk a little bit about triathlon throughout it but it's just one of those interviews where it's like I said to Gordo before the show before I pushed record that I just want to sit and talk to you mate I just want to sit and, and hear some of your philosophies on life so it's very much that it's just me talking to someone who I have a lot of respect for who I think can offer some really good insight and, and I do think this interview offers some really cool insight so I'm going to put that on in a second before I do, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the patrons. If you want to become a patron of Fitness Behaviour, you can go to www.bevanjamesisles.com and become a patron of the show. As always, it really helps me create this show. And um, it's something I want to do more and more of. And uh, so for those people who already are patrons, and these include people like Renee the Hawk Hawes, we've got Michael Hardcore O'Kane, we've got Samuel Mysterious Man Molino Weaver, we've got uh, Donald the Explorer James, and we've got Mystic Brittany, oh, I'm going to say McEachern, McEachern maybe, uh, they are already patrons of the show and they donate every time I release a show, and we've also got a few new people to the show this month, and uh, Nathan, I don't have your last name, you didn't give me your last name, so I've called Nathan the Hurricane, and Nathan, you know who you are, but if you want to send me your last name, I'll, I'll rectify that on the next show, um, Mary Jane 
oh, I'm going to say Mariko, and that's, I'm going to call Mary Jane the Magic. Mary Jane the Magic. It's got a good ring to it. And then Katrina, and like Nathan, she didn't give me a last name, but Katrina, you are the architect. You, you're the architect of change. That's what you are. So if you want to become a patron of the show, if you become a patron of the show, you get your own fitness behavior nickname, and I just know that you're helping someone who's trying to do great work. And uh, so, yeah, once again, thank you to all the patrons. And if you are thinking about doing it, just go to bevanjamesisles.com. Righto, got a bit of a longer interview of Gordo, so we're going to get straight into it. Here's Gordo right now. Okay, Tim, we're very happy to have uh, a man on the show who's been uh, been a, a kind of a part of my life for many years in kind of an off way, but in a, in sometimes an intimate way as well. Uh, Gordon Byrne is a guy who, in the triathlon world, has been a massive influential thinker and, and an extremely successful athlete in his time. Uh, in recent time, he's moved to, since he's been a family man, he's kind of moved away from triathlon, but he has an amazing blog which has a lot of insight into family, life, and finances. And uh, I highly recommend, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but I highly recommend doing some reading on Gordo's work. But first of all, welcome to the show, Gordo. How are you? Thanks, Ben. Yeah, doing well today. So first of all, maybe maybe give, for those who don't know much about yourself, maybe give a little bit of a history on uh, on yourself. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting background because it, it shows, I think my story is a, example of how if you have the will you can kind of change really change the direction of your life in quite a significant way so I was um, I started out of university I started working in finance and as you can imagine it's not necessarily the most it can be a rather unhealthy lifestyle and it certainly was the way I approached it so you know long hours uh, when I wasn't working there was a fair amount of boozing going on and I found myself in my mid-20s, really out of shape, overweight, and I'd been reasonably healthy as a teenager, camp counselor, and I really missed that aspect of my life, some of the connection to just being healthier and having more of an outdoor existence as opposed to a corporate and city existence. And so I decided to you know, changed the direction of my life. And I didn't do anything radical at first. I just started by, you know, walking and, and, and hiking. And I was living in London at the time. And we would, we would, we, I didn't even change my lifestyle. I just added the walking. So we, we, on the weekend, we'd go do a walk that ended at a pub and then get completely blasted <laughs> and sleep overnight at the pub. So it was no change in lifestyle, just adding walking. So I left everything else the same. And then I had the opportunity uh, through my firm to get promoted and move out to Asia. And then I was kind of like, you know, somebody took me to one side and said, you know, as a partner in the firm, you probably need to at least look a little better. You, you know, that was kind of the way it was said. In a sense, it was more external. So, I, you know, I'd dress a little better, uh, take better care of myself, uh, you know, maybe lose a little bit of weight. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, that kind of makes sense. I, I wanted to make a go of it in terms of the, on the business side. And so I, I stopped drinking beer, uh, you know, so I knocked another, another example, sort of knocking one thing out. And then I upped now, now I started doing, you know, a little more hiking. So the hikes would be, you know, maybe both days on the weekend and I tried not to get drunk as much. Um, although I still, the lifestyle wasn't that great. Um, but it was kind of, you know, gradual and heading in the right direction. And then ultimately, these little changes over time led me into an endurance lifestyle. And then through that, I um, decided to do an Ironman and just do one to do it like a lot of people start. And the whole, the structure that it gave my life, I, I really liked so I, it gave it gave structure to my life. It gave me something to do other than drink and overeat. And I responded really well to the training. And by responding, I mean both how the exercise made me feel, but then also how my body responded. And, you, you know, you mentioned that I, I had a lot of success, and I did. I mean, my I, I'm a high responder to exercise just 
for whatever reason. I think it's a combination of really enjoying it and whatever genetics I have. Mm -hmm. And so I got into it in a big, big way. And it completely consumed my life for a period of time. And because of that, uh, most of the people I'm competing with don't bring that level of commitment to it. And because I brought that high level of commitment, I had a really high result, um, which was fun. But ultimately, you know, with these physical things are temporary. I mean, you, you don't, um, you know, you, you, can't, you can't live as a elite athlete your whole life. Otherwise, you're going to run into other problems with your body falling apart on you as well as your recovery system, your immune system, all, all that kind of stuff. So it, it became clear to me eventually that that style of living uh, wouldn't be sustainable. And, and one of the things at the very top of any field is when you're totally focused on it, you miss out on relationships with other people and connection, the, the human side, the human connection. Mm. And particularly with an endurance sport like Ironman, it's a tremendous amount of time just spent on your own, which I enjoy. I, I need uh, that alone time, uh, particularly alone time in nature, for whatever reason, it really recharges my batteries and it lets me bring energy to all the other parts of my life. Um, so I, I pay attention to that. I pay attention to you know what's essential and what might be holding me back in my life. And you know, as you got older, it was clear that compulsive exercise would ultimately hold me back. And I was also really lucky to have some great mentors that were 10 to 20 years older than me that were sort of the generation before me on the elite side and I could see I could I was able to watch how these guys and they're all guys similar to me how their lives played out for them and one of the things I tell people when they're thinking about a coach or a mentor is don't just look at what that person can bring your to your career look at how that person's living how is that person's life is is that a life where you ultimately want to get to um, because I think mentors, coaches influence us in ways we're not even aware of. And, you know, if somebody could help me win a, an Ironman race, which would be maybe goal-oriented, or help me get a promotion, but if I look deeper at the way they live their life and the way they treat people, the way they make people feel, and I'm uncomfortable with that, I don't want that association. So I'm not willing to put myself in that group just to get a result. And I've made some really good decisions using that uh, as a framework. And so trying to see success in a larger framework than just that external success and, and look deeper. Um, and that's part of the reason, too, why ultimately I've decided to leave triathlon. I, I look at the folks that are at the top of what my category is now, which is kind of like, you know, older endurance athletes. And I'm not really comfortable with um, that life for what it would imply to my family and the people I live with. And, and so that was, uh, that's part of how I get satisfaction from these changes. Because I think anybody that was an elite athlete misses being young and being strong and the, the feelings associated with that extreme level of fitness. But at the same time, if you step back and ask yourself, is this, is this what's best for me long term as I move into the next stages of my life? And is this good for my children who I chose to bring into the world with my wife and my marriage, it's sort of like, you know what, you know, I've had, I've had enough of that type of success. That's, a, that's an earlier phase in my life. And, and if I don't let go of that, it could lead to problems. It'll probably lead to, you know, so. When, you, when you're a young man, you know, you're saying, you're saying I'm very conscious of uh, the paths I'm taking and the decisions I make around the life I want. When you're a young man, <clears throat> what were the influences that in business, because it sounds like you, you kind of had moved away from maybe some priorities that were important to you, and was it hard to let go of those as you shifted into a triathlon or that kind of endurance mm. sport lifestyle? Well, I think like a lot of young people, I didn't look, I didn't stop and look at my life until I had my first real crisis in my life. I, I was kind of just on autopilot, just moving forward, consuming and just following the competing and consuming I think you know I was a very competitive guy and I, I love to work so I put a lot of energy the, the energy that I brought to sport 
I, I, I was bringing to my early career. And before I was in my career, I brought it to my academics. And I brought that same energy to my negative uh, passions too. So drinking, partying, uh, womanizing, these types of things. You know, that, 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 that charisma verging on a mania uh, as a young man, I think, would be a good way to describe it. And so it was important to me to have uh, an outlet that wouldn't really damage me. And I think that's, that's why the athletics made a lot of sense for me. But coming back to your question, you know, how did I start looking at myself? Well, I was married for a year uh, around the time I was 30. And then that marriage fell apart. And so when I was in the marriage, I thought I was on a path for my life. And I thought, okay, this is how it's all going to play out. I had it all mapped out. And then in the space of three months... It just the rug completely got pulled from under me, and I was like, "Wow, I thought my life was a certain way. I thought my marriage was a certain way, but it totally wasn't. I completely got it wrong. So it was clear to me that my wife's view of the marriage and my view of the marriage totally different, and the life I thought that I was tracking down was not going to happen. I mean, so I was like, "Wow, I just got that wrong, and I had that so wrong. I was kind of lost. You know, I was at this void." And, and I, I was, so I was like, well, I'm, I'm lost. And what am I going to do? Came across a book called The Artist's Way, Julia Cameron. And it's a writing program. I've always been a writer. And so I was like, okay, I try these. It's like a daily diary thing. And I, and I did it. And that really helped me flush out uh, where, you know, my underlying values. And, I, and, and that's, also made it clear to me, wow, finance is not consistent with my underlying values. So this pursuit of money and consumption merely for no real end in itself. If, for me, it doesn't work. For some of the, some of the folks I worked with, it completely works. They're, they're like, that's, their values are line, in line with finance, and that's fine. But I had to realize, for me, I was in a situation that wasn't a good fit for my values, and that's when I, and I didn't know where to go. And one of the things, uh, when, there's, a, there's a great uh, article called uh, Managing Oneself that you can Google. And one of the things is it says, as a young person, it's going to become obvious what not to do before it becomes clear what to do. Mm. And I was lost. But I knew, I, so I knew this wasn't the place for me, and so it was time to leave. So I knew it was time to leave, but I didn't know where to go or what to do. And ultimately, I left the firm. I left finance, uh, took a year sabbatical that turned into a permanent departure, and just went. And, you know, I, I went to Australia for a month, and then I found my way down to Christchurch with you good people. And it was great. You know, I was like, all of a sudden, the athletes, the endurance athletes, the Kiwi people, I felt at home and you know I, I would still be down there if I hadn't met my wife who's American and from Boulder and that's why we're here because that relationship brought me here but the the I felt alright this is the right kind of place to be and these people share my values and it was it was great you know and, and so then then you know through that I was like okay so this introspection this stepping back and having a look at things at least once a year and paying attention and writing down the sources of my stress and, you know, what's making me happy and what I think is stressing me out is really important because you can't trust your memory, I've found. So I, I, if I don't write it down, I will continue to fool myself. And I will come up with ideas that make, you know, if I look at my past and I look at what I've written down, I come up with these ideas, I'm like, no. That's not consistent with what I'm telling myself. And there's an element of faith. You need to have faith that what you've told yourself in the past and what you've learned, if you do that, you will be satisfied. And that's the thing with exercise. I think, you, you know, when, when you... So I love the concept of fitness behavior. Um, and it's really, it's this concept of more than just fitness though. It's, it's sort of, I, I mean, I was like, you know, there's wealth behaviors, mm. uh, marriage behaviors, uh, father behaviors. And so really, if we could incorporate all that into look, what, it, what are my satisfaction behaviors? What, what are my, uh, you know, what are these behaviors where it's clear that if I do these consistently, I'm going to have less problems, and more satisfaction. I'm not going to eliminate problems. That's the other thing. I, 
you know, I, I can get I can get really emotional on stuff and I need to watch that I don't respond to these short-term emotional ups and downs that hit me really hard. Um, athletics was great for that, the long course athletics, because you can't respond to stuff because you have to stay really calm in these long events because otherwise you're wasting energy, you're wasting mental energy as well as physical energy. And Ironman was great for that. So it really brought that out in my personality is that ability to be with stuff. And fatherhood, motherhood, same thing. Don't respond. You know, like a lot of the stuff that we find challenging with preschoolers, if I just don't become part of the problem, it's going to work itself out with no input from me. I just have to ride out this internal roller coaster. Um, and then I get out to the other side. Uh, and so that's been that that's really that whole process of uh, just the inter- iteration. And then as well, as we get older, our lives change, but our, our lives change in consistent ways. So you can you can talk to people that are similar to yourself that are 10, 20, 30 years older, and they can they can tell you the options that you're really going to want to keep open and value later in life. And a, and a big example is, you know, you talk to people in their 60s and 70s, and, you, and I love this question. It's like, you know, well, if you could tell yourself something when you turn 50, what might it be? Uh, and a big one that comes back is a lot of times is community, uh, friends, uh, shared experiences. Because so many people are just riveted on their careers in that kind of 40 to 55 range that they're not setting themselves up for success in that phase that comes after that heavy-duty career, which is where it's like, all right, well, where am I going to end up? Uh, who are the relationships I want to have? Uh, and they, they can feel they don't have that depth of relationship that's particularly valued um, by folks that are older. Mm. Uh, that companionship. When, when all that physical stuff's been stripped away, I mean, you know, I, I say I'm not physical right now, but, you know, at 46, there's still a ton of stuff that I can do physically. But that's, that's, that's going to be gone by the time I'm 76. And, and so the question is, what's going to remain? And what's going to remain is, you know, the, the kindness that I've shown people in these relationships and a satisfaction from a life well lived uh, and, and knowing that, uh, you know, maybe I didn't get everything right, but I, I got a lot of stuff mostly right. You talk a lot about uh, that your competitive soul. You know, as a young man, you were very competitive, and that drove you in finance, and it drove you as an athlete. Is that something you still hold on to now, or how has that shifted as you've evolved? Yeah, this is great. This leads me into just something that I've had a blog. You know, I was at happy hour the other day, and it was five o'clock at night, and a couple of sixty-year-olds with bodies of twenty-three-year-olds got into a bar fight right in front of me. Oh, wow. And one of the guys pushed the other guy and just about knocked my wife off her stool. And I was like thinking, I was like thinking, you know, one of the things you tell yourself is that, wow, it'd be nice to have all that testosterone I had when I was 25. And there's a lot of unintended consequences from trying to hold on to your youth. And I think a lot of what we would call our competitive soul is really just a chemical experience of being in our 20s. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I mean, if we look at, if we look at men, 17 to 27, they have certain biological characteristics that make them really aggressive and very competitive. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm all that different from anybody else. Um, likewise, when you get overtrained, and as people get older and try and hold on to this high level of exercise, you will hear them say things like, I feel old. Uh, in other words, you know, their growth hormone, their testosterone is completely hammered from all the exercise they're doing, and they're, they're, that sensation is feeling old. Well, I, you know, I felt like that when I was like 40, 41, and still drilling it like I was 35. But when you let go of this excessive exercise or the excessive stress from work or lack of sleep or whatever you're doing to try and hold on to your youth, you come to a place where it's kind of like, oh, wow, I kind of actually, you know, this doesn't feel that bad. You know, I'm less aggressive. I'm more at peace. I'm feeling more serene. I'm more tranquil. I'm not making as many dumb decisions and like getting upset with people and myself. And you can, you can settle into this older life. But, but, but again, you know, 46, 
is older if you're 21, but it's, you know, my, you know, if you're in your 70s, you, you don't necessarily think of me as older. Mm. But you know, it's it's certainly different. You know, you're in this transition, you're in midlife, mm. and you're at this stage, and so I think that is how I would answer that whole competitive thing. A lot of it is just biologically driven, and you know what I tell. Uh, what I tell young people and what I've noted with myself is try and minimize the mistakes you're going to make when you're under 30. Um, you know, both with regards to, I don't know, uh, drunk driving, unprotected sex, not wearing your seatbelt. You know, try and try and cut down on the things that can really close your options out um, mm. later in life. Mm. In regards to... Uh for people, you know, because I know you've dealt with a lot of high-end people, but for people who are maybe basically, you know, a little bit older and, and are struggling with exercise, what would be your kind of approach for someone like that to get into exercise and to be successful with it? Don't struggle uh, is number one. So you're going to come to it and you're going to think, well, why bother? Because I'll never get there. And there is someplace off in the distance that you think you need to get to to be happy. And speaking as somebody who got there mm. and way beyond there, mm. um, you're going to find that you're ultimately the same person when you get there as you get here. And that's that, that, that sort of that concept and something that you're really good at focusing on is, is really we need, to, we, we need to come to terms with our relationship with ourselves, um, you know, that self-acceptance, I, I, I think. And I think that's a, a key component and to understand that, you know, it's a journey and, you know, all the research that's coming back these days is saying that you get the most benefit from the first 10 minutes and then after that everything's going to decline. So a lot of the stuff that we tell ourselves about, you know, needing to get tired or needing to really blast ourselves, it's not supported by the medical community. I mean, what we need to do is we need to get moving. And we need to be moderate you know, with our approach to things that we know can hurt our bodies. Salt, sugar, alcohol, these types of things, we need to moderate those. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of a guy where it's easier to go binary. So when I was seeking to make a change, I would just eliminate things for a while. Yeah. Uh, because then I don't need to think. Yeah. You know, because I mean, this whole concept, people look at an Ironman athlete and say, oh, you've got fantastic willpower. Actually, I don't. It's binary. Mm. And I'm not having to make a decision because I did a deal with myself that I'm just not doing this, mm. which is way easier than trying to go to moderation. It wasn't until I spent years, like, oh, geez, it must be 20 years of stripping out stress to get myself to the point where I can add back chocolate in a moderate way, add back a couple beers in a moderate way. And these other things, when I had all this stress around me, the, the chocolate, the dessert, the sugar, whatever, I, I would binge. And the binging itself was a sign of excessive stress. Mm. And it, it, it took years to get me to the point where I could be moderate with anything as opposed to just being binary. And which way do you prefer? Uh, well, I don't know. I, you know, it's been, uh, the moderate's okay. You know, the moderate opens me up to uh, a little less social friction. I think I was so hard with my approach. Uh, nutrition, nutritionally, I was very hard. With my schedule, I was very hard. Um, I think that hardness... Uh, was difficult for people close to me to deal with. Uh, and I think coming, you know, uh, being a bit softer and a bit more flexible, certainly in terms of a husband and a father, that is a better way with my key relationships than always just being so binary and, and bound up with it. Uh, you know, it's like I, I would I would just rail against, you know, all that stuff. It's like, oh, I can't do that. You know, I, I, I won't do that. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know what? If, if, if I have a half a piece of birthday cake, it's no, this is not a deal. <laughs> My life's not going to end. Oh, there you go. So this is another concept I want to pass along too. There comes a point where you need to look at your life and compare it to your fears. And this is a great part of getting older. So all of us will have had these fears that we picked up probably from our parents, grandparents growing up. So say, say I got my raft of fears and they're, they're pretty well established by the time I'm 21. 
Well, 25, laters at 40, 25 years later at 46, I, you know, I know my fears pretty well. And if I can admit them to myself and, and I admit them to my readers through my blog, I, then I have, to, I have to go to the next step and I have to ask myself, well, does my life match these fears? In other words, were these fears grounded? And this whole fear of you know, sinking back into alcoholism, sinking back into obesity, uh, everything being taken away from me, financial ruin, my reputation falling apart, all these different stories and stuff we tell ourselves, it's not borne out by the facts. Mm. And so that's what gave me the courage to try moderation. It's like, well, I don't need to be this extreme. This, if, if I can maintain, if I can do what I know I need to do and be more moderate, my life will continue on a favorable path. Uh, and and that, was, that was something that, I, that really helped me deal with that whole concept of fear. And as an elite athlete, um, your fears really come to the fore when you're exhausted and your blood sugar's low and things like that. And so it's a, it's a, it's a great way to kind of see those um, and experience those fears. You know, what are the what are these thoughts that go through your head when you're really worked? Well, it's really interesting as well because the thing is as well is that whole thing of maybe my success has been driven by my fears. So if I take away my drive from my fears, who do I become? <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, you, yeah oh, I just love that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's, it's that whole identity. Um, identity by external achievement that's all an illusion though mm. uh you know and that's that's one of the beautiful things about sport you know if you're paying attention yeah it's like oh uh, you know a lot of people are like oh i, I you know I, I can't afford to deal with my anxieties i can't afford to let go of my fears because if i do what will remain mm. and I, I would say what remains is wonderful and i, I want to continue that path and there's many people that have gone that path and we can study them because they write books and they, they explain this path of letting go of fears and anxiety and external achievement and that. And it's a much better place to be. Um, and, and fatherhood is so difficult uh, for me at times that it really helps me let go because you have to let go. You can't control the behavior of this other individual to, to, to like to match whatever I think needs to be done at, you know, 12 noon on a Sunday. Um, and it becomes, and the other thing is over time, I realize that I don't know best. You know, whatever I think is best for the kids or my friends or my family or my wife, time has shown me that, well, you know, sometimes that's right, but sometimes that's not right too. And so I have to let go of my own opinions a bit and just stick with what I do know. And, you know, I, I know it's good to be, you know, kind to your brother. Yeah. And I, I, I know that consistently yelling at your friends and smacking them will lead to bad outcomes. And substance abuse, bad idea. It's going lead to lead to bad outcomes. Uh, you know, uh, hard drug use, not good in my family, always leads to bad outcomes. And, and so teaching these things from my own experience, passing it on to my kids, is kind of a way for me to, um, you know, pass it on. Pass on the things that we've learned in our family over multiple generations. And the goal is not to be perfect, just to, you know, try and improve a little bit every day, uh, keep ourselves heading in the right direction and enjoy our lives together. You, you talk a little bit about how you don't necessarily trust the inner, inner dialogue, kind of look to the evidence of the past, you know, you, and you're quite good at keeping a record of your past, so it's really clear for you to be able to do that. And as much as you get to this point where now it is, you know, I can live in a place where I'm not so black and white and I can be more free, is it still hard to trust even, like, you know, the residue of the past still make even in moderation now still have that kind of a negative connotation to it? Or have you got to the place where you can totally sit in that? Ah, uh, so, yeah. Well, the past is just the past. I mean, it's just stuff that's happened, good, bad, otherwise. I, I think a better way to look at it is, um, what would I say about the past? You know, there's, 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 there's behaviors that are useful and there's behaviors that are not useful. Fitness behaviors, right? Mm. You know, keep it, keep it to this. So, so in terms of fitness or the life I want to live, I know that there's certain behaviors that are useful behaviors. They're, they're beneficial. They help me to help others. Mm. So we want to keep those. Likewise, if I'm paying attention, I know there's certain uh, behaviors that are not useful. Uh, and I want to chip away at reducing those. Uh, and when I, when, I, when I do those behaviors, I want to acknowledge it to myself and anybody that's been hurt by that. And so we can work together to get rid of that. 
And, and I think that's a better way of dealing with the past or even dealing with how today went um, than trying to label it good or bad because then, then, then there's just this whole judgment connotation and things like that. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you know, I, I had all these bad actions. You know, I think when I first started down this path, I was sort of like, yeah, there's this sense of atonement. You know, I've lived my life in a way that wasn't great, and I must atone uh, for these. Um, and yeah, if you if you know if somebody feels like they have to make amends with somebody, by all means, make amends. Um, but I think most useful in terms of dealing with past experiences is using them to make better decisions going forward. Um, there's a there's a, a book I read which which talks about you know you know in terms of will, will only really operates on the margin. You know, it's that it's that one opportunity where you're kind of like you're actually you're together enough so you're not on auto, autopilot, and you're kind of leaning one way or the other, and so you just go, oh, okay, here's a chance for me to actually make a decision. So I'm going to stop, think about it, and then I'm going to decide which way to go. And that's that whole you know training yourself to kind of slow down a bit to get yourself off of that uh, snap judgment uh, decision and just pause and maybe make some better choices at the margin, and then those choices become habits. And then you're not having to use this willpower. You're just following up these habits that you've been able to successfully build over time. And whether you're training your body, your schedule, your mind, whatever it happens to be, you can just make it more habitual than always having to make all these choices all the time. You, you, you write a lot about finances. Um, you, you, it's obviously an area that you have a, a history of. Um, it's also mm-hmm. an area that you, you share quite openly in finances. Why is this important and uh, what do people need to? What kind of context do people need to think about finances and living a free life? All right. Yeah. So, I, um, Benjamin Franklin, famous American. I'm a Canadian living in the states now. Yeah. He said, an, "An empty bag doesn't stand up." If you want to live a moral life, it helps to have an element of financial freedom. Now, you can achieve that by being a monk and not needing anything other than a a bowl and a set of robes. Or you can achieve that by having a strong financial base um, and making smart financial decisions over a long period of time. I've been making good financial decisions since I was 15 years old. So the compound interest from more than 30 years of good financial decisions really pays dividends late in life. And that's something that was taught to me by my family and I didn't necessarily believe it. It was just drilled into me at a young age. And I stuck with it to the point where it just becomes a self-perpetuating situation. So your life just continues to get better and better as you maintain these principles. And the principles are simple. It's, you know, spend less than you earn. Um, focus on what you need. Uh, more than sort of what you want, and that requires giving up a lot of things that are recommended to us in a commercial society, and really just um, not trying to swing for the fences and bet the farm, and just look for you know just slow, consistent returns over time. Uh, and I think that will get you to a point where you won't be or you won't feel like you're a slave a slave to your mortgage, a slave to your credit card account, a slave to your company. And that will achieve freedom. But it's, it's, it's freedom. It's not freedom to do nothing. It's freedom to do what you feel um, you want to do. But it's also freedom to do what the world will reward you for. I think a lot of folks say follow your dream, but... If you're five feet tall and your dreams to play in the NBA, it wouldn't make sense to follow your dream. You have to pay attention. The world's going to really give you – I mean, that's the beautiful thing about a market economy. You get so much feedback to what the world values, what society values from you in terms of, um, you know, comments. You know, you and I write, okay? So the world's going to tell us by reading our articles when we're connecting, and there's stuff that I love to write about, but nobody reads. And so, you know, it's like, you know what? Maybe I'll write a little bit about that, but also write about stuff that helps people where they really connect. And in that whole financial area, I, you know, I have professional training and years of experience on the inside of what that industry does to regular people. And I like to share that because the way <laughs> it's like elite sport. 
the way it appears is not the way it is. <laughs> and it's, it's very much an illusion uh, when you're looking up at it. And I like to break through, you know, not by naming names or being negative about it, but I like to break through to what the underlying reality is so people can get value uh, and they don't fool themselves. Uh, and, and that gives me comfort. So rather than like calling out all this hoax stuff that I see around me, I just say, you know what? I've been there. And maybe here's a better way to go about your relationship with your body, with your sport, uh, you know, with your investment account. And I like sharing that. You know, going from going being an elite athlete who, you know, you were, like I remember training, like guys, for Gordo was the guy who ticked every box. If you know what I mean? Like you, I always think of, have there been periods in your life where you've done 100% towards achieving the outcome you desire and when it came to being around athletes there were different levels of people who were willing to tick boxes and Gordo was the guy who ticked every box as an athlete now going from that life to becoming a father what, what have been the struggles because I know you've very much prioritised being a father you know like you've, you've, you've shifted yeah. your life and and, um, and you, the kind of energy you've put into anything you've put into your life you've put into being a great dad how have you found becoming a father and what have been the struggles? What have been obviously there's been lots of good stuff, but how do you deal with that in the life of yourself? All right. So the biggest, if 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 I resist the urge to act out and retaliate against my children, no one sees that. When I'm a world class husband, when I'm a world class father, it's completely invisible to the outside world. Um, there's no external validation, particularly on the parenting. People will see my children's ability to have fun and laugh, and they will notice that they don't cower and they're not filled with fear, but they don't really know why that happens. And that can be difficult at times. Uh, I, I think as a, you know, much more as a mother, motherhood is not rewarded externally. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's giving you high fives mm -hmm. because you didn't shake your baby. I mean, it's kind of like, well, of course, yeah, of course you're a fantastic mother. You, you ought to be, but it's really hard. Mm -hmm. I think so that's, that's a shift. The other thing is the, um, the elite. So when you want to be the very, very best in this really narrow field, it's about how much can I do? How, how, getting rid of everything else in your life so that you can focus on this tiny wafer that nobody even cares about really other than yourself. And, 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 but you won't admit that because you have to make it bigger because that's all you know, your motivation. And so that's, that sense will lead to disaster in a marriage or in a family system because it's relationship-based. Mm -hmm. And a relationship-based system is about being good enough. In other words, if I, can, I have all these competing interests for my time and uh, for my energy. And I, don't, I, I cannot be the best for everyone. Just to interrupt quickly here, guys, um, Gordo's Skype went a little bit funny there, so we had to cut out. So I got, he came back in and he kind of answered the question. He may have taken a little bit of a step back here. Just so you know, um, here's Gordo kind of continuing on with the same answer. So sport is about giving your absolute best and getting rid of everything in your life. Mm -hmm. So you can focus on a very narrow niche. Yeah. Whereas family systems and a deeper success, success in your community, relationship-based success, is more about being good enough. And so this mindset of fanatical triathlete, if you bring that into a relationship-based system with multiple people, multiple relationships, it'll lead to disaster because you're never going to be happy because you'll never be able to be good enough for everybody at the same time all the time. So, I mean, give your best. So you just have to kind of come to peace with it and say, well, I'm going to try and be good enough. And that's been a big shift for me. So letting go of, you know, just trying to be the best all the time and just trusting that if I'm good enough, uh, or I'm going to have some good outcomes here uh, and giving the benefit of the doubt to everybody in your, in your sort of family. And what's really good enough? I think good enough as a parent is you're going to stick with it. You're going to stick with the job and stick with your family to the best of your ability, um, you know, for as long as it takes to do it with your kids. 
until they're adults and then they're probably going to move on and go do their own thing. You might continue to have a relationship, you might not. But, you know, once they're adults, it's really, then it's an adult-to-adult relationship. It's a different kind of relationship. And then the other thing is making a, making a promise to yourself that you're going to focus on just not retaliating um, when you feel hurt or somebody pushes an emotional button in you. That's a big one for me as a parent is, you know, success is defined by persistence and not retaliating. Um, because it's clear that retaliation as a parent will lead to bad outcomes. Also, I'm the leader in the situation, so it's up to me to be willing to compromise and de-escalate, um, which is tough. You know, I think as a young man, I wouldn't have been good at it because I would have been so aggressive and competitive. Uh, I probably would have pushed back a lot uh, against the kids, uh, much more than I'm able to do now. I mean, my age now relative to my children is similar to what my grandfather's age was relative to me because there's a generation missing. You know, I think that's a benefit of people having kids when they're older is being able to stand back a bit more and have, have a little, bring a little more perspective, uh, to the whole household. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, 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 that's probably the big shift. And then hands down, the toughest thing for me is coping with noise, uh, confusion, uh, chaos, you know, I, I'm, I'm becoming more uh, introverted as I get older. And by introverted, I mean, you listen to me talk nonstop for this whole thing. (laughs) Introverted doesn't mean a reluctance to share my opinion. Introversion and extroversion, I express it as how we deal with crowds and noise. Extroverts are lifted by contact with people and uh, experience. And I see that in my youngest. She's lifted by that stimulation. Mm -hmm. Strongly introverted people are fatigued by it. And I just need to manage the amount of noise I take or else I get exhausted. And exhausted as a parent does not lead to good decisions for me. So I, I got to manage that and just, you know, control the dose I give myself and make sure I go for my forest walks and the things I know recharge my batteries. What in regards to the wife, you know, working with your wife in that situation? Because what, what, you see it in a lot of relationships that kids ultimately end up hurting the relationship it damages the fundamental core relationship of the partnership um yeah. and and co- kind of cool for what you talked about there the fatigue of bringing up kids the stress the you know the, the the loss of self that often comes with the job of bringing up your kids and if anything the kids doesn't make a stronger relationship it creates a disconnect between the relationship so how have you navigated that aspect of your p- p- partnership with your yeah. wife the number one advice i give myself is don't mis- don't make an attribution error of assuming that a stressful situation has to do with something negative to do with your marriage. In other words, if you talk to everyone about what it's like to live with young children, that change, it's very stressful. And in a stressful situation, all humans, we're all prone to applying you know, looking at whoever's around us and saying it's that person's fault and assigning blame for a situation that is just stressful in and of itself. So that's one thing, is acknowledge the stress that everyone is under. I see a lot of preschool parents, and I don't think they fully realize how stressful their job is mm. as a parent in a house with young kids. So that's one thing. If you can acknowledge, wow, this is really tough, but it's a lot better if we get through this together than if we, you know, throw another stress, which is our relationship falling apart. That's one thing. Second thing is, I think something Monica and I do particularly well is carving out time for our marriage every single week. We spend time with us because it is easy to let go of the marriage because you think you don't have time for it and let go of each other and and sharing experiences with each other. And I think that's something that I really value. And I, you know, it's my job really to keep us focused on that because otherwise you get busy and it is easy to let go of that. Um, But even still, I mean, you know, I'd like to spend even more time with her, but you know, we got, we got stuff to do, so we can't do it all the time. Um, and so I think that's um, when I talk to when I talk to people, and they have the kids coming. I say, you know, look, just make a habit of investing time in the relationship. Spend time having fun with each other um, because it's just so good for everybody. 
because you, you know it's and, that, and that's that's a nice thing about you know trying to get outside of myself you know like that whole uh, athlete thing it's all about how do I make myself faster how do I achieve and then the kids really make it easier to start asking yourself well what kind of father does this family need what kind of husband does this family need you know what kind of citizen does my town need and you can just slowly expand that out and and try and make decisions that are kind of on for the collective and you know for me you know at first you know maybe you start with the kids maybe you start with your wife but you can gradually kind of push the boundaries out um and and make better choices i always find it really fascinating i talk about that kind of concept of what's the first thing that gets dropped when life gets busy and it's often all the things that are good for us and to prioritize those aspects like time with your partner you know those little like for you going for those walks you talk about actually that's needs to be the first priority doesn't it uh yeah it needs to be it needs to be on needs to be on the plate and and you you need to be willing to accept less external success to create this inner space Mm. um and you know having been able to spend 25 hours a week training for this ironman thing there what the time was there you know in my life i i just had to reallocate it um and just make sure that you know, I, I, I just do it wisely, allocate, you know, it's, I, I think in terms of wealth, I, as I get older, I think much more in terms of, you know, wealth is expressed in how I allocate my time mm. and my ability to stay healthy, both mental health and physical health. And, and I think that's a, a neat way of looking at it. Um, in other words, the financials, financial wealth, had, the role it plays is giving me freedom to allocate my time um, and that time allocation supports my mental and physical health and, and kind of looking at it that way. I know you're not a, necessarily a nutritionist as such, but I know you're a person who's taken an interest in nutrition. And I remember we had you on our other podcast years ago and, and you kind of gave kind of some basic nutritional guidelines. And I think we live in a very fascinating world right now with nutrition as in regards to so many mixed messages and so many kind of extreme levels of messages and stuff. And I kind of liked kind of your philosophy around fitness on an interview where I did in the past. So maybe just what would be some general guidelines around nutrition that you would give for the everyday person? All right. Really simple. Um, eat real food. And then people might say, well, what's real food? Well, real food is food that doesn't have a list of ingredients on it. Um, you know, so I think that's a, that's a key one, you, you know, so steer clear of the processed stuff and don't eat a lot of, um, you know, refined. Yeah. I think that's, that's the number one thing that's going to require, uh, changing the way you, you live and change is inconvenient. Um, but if you want, if you really want the health benefits, skip the dogma, eat real food. The next thing would be pay attention to your triggers. Um, what's it called? Uh, you know, it's like anger, fatigue, uh, when you're rushing, you're going to have triggers that result in some bad decisions or poor decisions. And I think pay attention to those. And rather than berating yourself for a lack of willpower, change your life to get rid of the triggers. I think that's a, that's a big one. And so it's, you know, for a lot of folks, it's just, it's, it's more, you know, stress sleep, being overscheduled, these types of things. Um, and and that's that would be it. And then just keep it as simple as possible. And remember, you don't all this stuff is marketed to you, these sports drinks and magic potions and powders, you don't need any of it. You know? Get rid of it all. I mean since I since I stopped doing extreme exercise, I, I don't need any of it. You know? I, I mean I you know, nuts and water, you know, I can go a long way on nuts and water. Uh, and just eating a regular meal before I head out and having a regular meal later. I mean, a long way. You know, I mean, if I'm if I'm going to go out all day or something, yeah, okay, I might, might I'm going to need you know maybe a few bananas or a slice of carrot cake at the cafe or something like that. But you know, most of the time, I, I don't train on anything. I'm like on air. If it's hot, I drink water. So this whole industry that sprung up to like sell us sugar, um, you don't need it, and particularly you don't need it if you're seeking you know that that healthy. You know, if, if folks that are looking at you on stage, they're like, well, what's it going to take to look like Bevy? Uh, well, sugar's not what it takes. You know, it's kind of like those fitness behaviors. You know, you got you to gotta just address, 
your triggers and then just trim the sugar. I think that's the biggie uh, for most of us. I used to eat a basket of bread with every meal when I was in Hong Kong when I was younger too. You know, that was pretty, you know, it's like, okay, get rid of them. You know, get rid of 10 baskets of bread a week. It's kind of <laughs> it's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. You know, focus. And there's things like that. You know, all of us have one or two things that if we could biff, we might get a little bit healthier so it's like you know just choose one thing get rid of it make that a habit and then six months later maybe choose one more thing and you know another big one might be cheese or pizza you know i gave up pizza for a while because i figured well it's bread and cheese probably don't need that just get rid of it uh and replace it with something you know that's i still like but you know it's going to do a little less damage to me um i'm going to pretty much wrap up things maybe just just Thanks. lastly um is there anything else you want to share that you think you know that you go oh, it's pretty important yeah, it's it's uh, change is hard, but it's absolutely worth it. If you have this persistent calling inside of you that's telling you to change the direction of your life, just do it. You know, listen to that. Listen to that that voice, that persistent voice that's telling you, "Hey, you're not in the right spot." Because that's just been so transformative for me, hearing that voice, and and it's it's led me to better places. Well, Gordo, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure everyone loved listening to you. Uh, your, your blog? Yeah, coachgordo.wordpress.com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes for today's show. Thank you so much for your time. I, you, you, you've always been a very big influence on myself and many people out there. And the work you do is really important work because it's really about aligning people to what's right for them in their world, which is really valuable stuff. Keep doing what you're doing. And if people want to get in contact, obviously, we have to go to Gordo's blog. Um, thanks for your time, mate. Cheers, mate. Right, Tim, hopefully you enjoyed the interview of Gordo. As you can see, he's obviously a man who puts a lot of insight into his thinking. And if you do want to follow his work, you can go to Gordo or coachgordo.wordpress.com. Uh, and I'll put a link to that in my show notes, www.bevanjamesisles.com. I, I do highly recommend that you read his blog. It's... I know he just I love the way he's so simple in his writing like you know I I'm, I'm, I often tell a lot of stories I'm a bit of a storyteller in my writing he's just kind of to the point <laughs> you know he just kind of here's a few points that I've been thinking about recently and uh it's again as you can see from that interview God is a very interesting thinker and he has, he has some really great insights and what I like about it is he, he kind of always gets back to what's really important and you know it's obviously taking him time and experience to figure that out but it's it's pretty cool stuff. So if you want to follow Gordo, once again, you go to coachgordo at uh, .wordpress.com. <clears throat> and once again, I'll put a link to that on the show notes. Anyway, guys, I'm going to pretty much wrap up today's show. If you want to become a patron of the show, once again, go to bevanjamesisles.com and you can do that there. Um, it's coming up Christmas time. One thing I will talk about quickly before we wrap things up completely is that it is coming up to that time of year, um, which I often talk about temptation season. Uh I know in countries, the southern hemisphere countries where it's actually summer, it's probably more of a problem. But, you know, even places where we're experiencing winter right now, it's this season uh, does have, you know, any kind of celebrationary season has the tendency to put a lot more temptation in front of us. And um, in some ways, you kind of want to let your hair out and you want to enjoy the season and be able to not restrict yourself too much. And like, it was funny listening to Gordo talk about how he was that guy who was almost a bit of a burden on those around him because he was so strict in the past and he's learned to let go of that a little bit. And it's a fine line, isn't it? It's a fine line of when I go into temptation moments, how much do I allow myself to let go and how much do I control myself? And it's just something to be really aware of as you come into this temptation season because, you know, suddenly you're going to have more functions suddenly there's going to be more food more alcohol and suddenly time for yourself starts to fall off the wagon through this period as in you know when you're going out more you sleep less so your own exercise time starts to suffer and those flow on effects of those behaviors and I think a good way to really think about this is where do I want to end up at the end of this season now you may determine that at the end of the season let's say next six weeks you know you're going to let go a little bit but you also want to come out in a healthy-ish place. You may realize that there might be some compromising of, you know, your health. And again, health's probably not the right word, but you might put a little bit of weight on. You might lose a little bit of fitness. I suppose health actually is a good word. 
But if you were to lose those, you know, a little bit of that over the next period of time, to lose it a bit might be okay with you. But what's the point where the damage becomes too much? And then what kind of actions do I need to stay within it? Allow for a little bit of damage, but not too much damage. So it's just a really good thing to be consciously aware of moving through this time. So then when you get to the end of this period, you don't feel this kind of massive journey to get back to what you know is you. And if anything, you know, you might just do a little bit of sharpening up. But it's not going to be this massive task that takes months and that, that, you know, maybe feels like you can't win that task. So just kind of think about that coming up into this time of the year. I'm going to get one more show out before the end of the year. So you guys will hear that. It'll literally be just before Christmas. So maybe a bit more Christmas show for 2015. Um, but yeah, if you've got any questions, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. If you want to spread the word about the show, make sure you do. Go into iTunes, write a review. Um, yeah, tell your friends. That's it for this month, guys. You guys, or this week, you guys have a great couple weeks, and I'll see you soon.